0: Greetings readers, this is Sam, and Anna, and this is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them, Episode 4,
1: Chapters 23 through 32, which in retrospect may have been a little bit too much to read, but we read it.
0: Because we're ambitious. (laughs) That's
1: why we're a little late on this one. Hey, editing Anna here. It, in fact, was too much for us to read, and we bit off more than we could chew. So this episode will cover up through chapter 27, and next episode will cover up through chapter 32. Before we start, I do have an announcement. We now have a website, fantasticbookspod.com, so you can go there to find all the episodes. There's also a little bit of information about us and the podcast in general, and obviously as we go through and have more books and, and the podcast evolves, we'll add to that webpage. But you can find us there. And hopefully because we finally set that up, we'll probably get our social media going soon, which in all likelihood will probably just be pictures of our cats with books.
0: These are the real things (laughs) the viewers and listeners want. And with our website, you'll be able to find links to iTunes and Spotify. You can learn a little bit about us and see the faces behind the voices and Mm. what got us into this.
1: Yeah. So definitely give us a, a visit online. And I think, without further ado, I'd really like to get into these chapters, because this is probably one of my favorite parts of the whole book.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great, so let's give it a go.
1: So we last left our hero in the saddest part of the story, probably.
0: Yeah, it was just a lot of Um, intense trauma, and...
1: He'd been beaten to a pulp on midwinter, so... The worst holiday season you could ever imagine. Merry
0: Christmas, season's beatings. Oh no! <laughs> season's beatings. I think I'd rather take coal for Christmas than season's beatings. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> At least he could probably use coal to warm himself up a little bit. Yeah. So we start with chapter 23, The Burning Wheel. And Kavoth made his way to Trappist's and is is working his way through the fever and working off his injuries from his season's beatings as we <laughs> have so called them. Tanny, one of the sick children there, asks for a story and Trappus tells the story of Telu and the kind of the beginning of Telu's power and it's very much a religion origin story for the oh, uh, Telen, the Talon religion. I don't know if you want to go through or just kind of talk about it in. General.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, just to kind of give a quick narration, I know a lot of these readers already understand the origin of Taylor. He's depicted as kind of like a Jesus inspired character, but.
1: Well, Taylor's the main god. Yeah, he's the. So, this is like the story of him taking like an earthly form, which is similar to Jesus and some other religious figures. Throughout different religions. So, in the story, the world is very bad and corrupt, and Telu the god exists, but people aren't worshiping him or paying thanks to him or acknowledging him in any way. So, he thinks that kind of everyone's kind of straight off the path.
0: Yeah, however, there is this one uh, girl, her name was uh, Periel, and
1: she's like the only good one
0: left. Yeah, she knew that, you know. People were bad, but they were kind of bad for a reason, because the world was tough, and she never judged others, and she treated everyone kindly and respectfully. The
1: world's tough, but there's also demons living amongst people, which is obviously different from a lot of modern religion stories we have now. Yeah. But I think the way that it's described is there's kind of a spirit realm, which would be the fae, and then there's... The human world, and there's all these demons that have come out of the Fey Realm and are living amongst the humans and wreaking havoc and corrupting people and causing a bunch of issues there. Yeah. So, Taylor comes and visits Periel
0: in a dream. And in the dream, she then, through spirit love... (laughs) Is with child. She becomes a holy vessel, the Virgin Perial. <laughs> someone like the Virgin Mary. And strangely enough, within what is it like a couple Isn't of it days? is also uh,
1: like ancient Greek gods kind of did the same thing? They could just kind of like not impregnate, but just like spiritually like impregnate people. In some yeah, of
0: the our girl Periel gets knocked up by Telu's spirit, and she gives birth to a child, which she names Menda.
1: But she gives birth within three months. It's, like, really fast. Oh, everything is expedited. Yeah, he grows up within, like, what, six months or so? Something crazy like that.
0: Yeah, so word gets out that periel has got a baby, and everyone's like, well, who she's with? This is, like, slanderous and crazy, and they hear that.
1: They're worried that she's given birth to a demon's baby. So they come knocking on her door.
0: Nobody's been with her, yet she's had a kid. Like, what's up? Mm-hmm. So when they knock on the door and demand to see the child, it's not really a child; it's a young man, adult man, yeah, about eighteen years old.
1: He identifies himself as Menda, Menda, son of himself, also Talu. He says, "Like my mother called me Menda, but I'm Talu, son of myself." So he steps forward in front of this crowd. A lot of the people don't necessarily believe him from the get go. It's very much like a trial situation and periel's actually really kind she says like you can't blame these people they live with demons like they they've had a rough life so like why are you surprised that they're not just immediately following you
0: and so there's this really interesting part where there is i believe it's a blacksmith yeah by the name of rangan that um Taylor or Menda approaches and basically looks within him and tells Reagan to his face all the All of his the, sins. All the sins that he's committed in his lifetime and gives him two options. He says, You can either walk the narrow the straight and narrow path with me to the end, or you can just go on your own. And it's basically a symbology of like are you going to repent for your sins and kind of start anew? Or are you going to stay in this path of wickedness till you die? And there's a really cool I think he line. says all
1: roads lead to death. Yes. But you can either suffer now and be rewarded later or live the way you want now and suffer eternally. Which is very similar to most Christian religions. I think most religions in general have kind of, and even philosophies too, without... A religious figure in them. Yeah. Like a, a living altruistically now will reap a reward later. Exactly. Versus just living however you want now, you will be eternally punished forever.
0: Yeah, it's pretty-
1: Or karma will come and get you, or that's not really, I mean, that's, that's the Western interpretation of karma, but anyway, that's the gist of it.
0: Yeah, because he says, and what's on your side, pain now, punishment now. For all that you've done, it can't be avoided, but I am here too. This is my path. And so Reagan then decides to cross over.
1: It's interesting, too, because he says, like, I am here too. So he's there suffering along with his followers.
0: Oh, that's an interesting perspective, because in my thought process, when he's like, but I'm here now, like, like, I'll provide comfort and support.
1: Oh, I imagined as like, I'm here. He took this like human form so that he could understand their suffering and suffer with them. And then like, he would be able to empathize with them.
0: That's cool. I mean, two sides, same coin.
1: Yeah. I don't think either of us is wrong.
0: <laughs> I am right, though. No. <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong.
1: Shut the book. <laughs> That's it.
0: Well, thanks for the final episode of Fantastic Books. <laughs> it's
1: been a good run, everyone. We made it through four.
0: Farewell. No, so <laughs> Reagan is the first of these people to decide to cross... Reagan, Rangan. Rangan. not Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's Nixon. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. Like it's so off. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> refocus. Refocus. Focus. Focus. So Reagan, <laughs> Reagan crosses the line, and he stands with Taylor. No, Taylor. Taylou beats him up with his hammer. Yeah, I was literally just about to read that. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay.
1: So he, everyone who crosses over the line gets struck down by Taylou. They're like crying. They're in a lot of pain. But then Taylou says like, you know, you crossed. It was brave and I'm proud of you. And he renames Rangan Wareth, the forger of the path, which is actually a really cool name. Yeah, it is. He gave him a, a cool new name. So everyone who crosses over gets struck with the hammer, but then Taylor gives them new names and heals them after. So like basically, they had to still pay punishment for what they had done in the past, but now they have a new, like a fresh slate. Which, like I said, a lot of this really draws on existing religious yeah motifs. like baptisms
0: or you know being born again
1: yeah which is fine because it is a, a religion so it's it makes sense that it draws on stuff that exists in our world. So in the end, seven stay on the other side of the line. And I think there's a fan theory that the seven that stay are the seven Shandrian, correct? Yeah. Which is interesting, though, because it says some of them are demons and some are not. And I thought all of the Shandrian would be humans that had been corrupted versus being actual demons.
0: I think it's more than just, like, the little finite details of, like, some were demons, some were not. I think it's more of just a symbology of the seven that resisted Telu.
1: Yeah, but... Jumping ahead to reference the story of Lanre later and Lanre becoming Haliax, the leader of the Shandrian, yeah. I would have assumed that because he was a man who became corrupted, the other Shandrian were also men who became corrupted, not necessarily started out as Oh, and became humans. more than
0: a man. Yeah. That's actually a really good point I didn't consider. I like that.
1: Because I always assumed that the Shandrian were stuck between the Fey realm and the human realm because they were humans that had had some weird magical corruption thing happen to them. It's hard to I mean, uh, pinpoint. It's so frustrating because we're all in the same boat of not knowing who the Chandrian are, not having enough information about them. And that's obviously, like, the whole point of the books. Yeah, I wish... They wish we knew. And we're not even sure. That's a fan theory that those seven who resist become the Chandrian, but it's a possibility. After taylu does that in the first town, he goes around and travels to other towns and... Basically, asks ever to decide which path they want to be on, and in the end, there's one demon who keeps escaping. And who was actually the one that was in the
0: the the, the
1: pageant, yes, the, 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 the winter pageant. So, and Canis is like the king of demons. He's a devil-like figure. Tello's like sh- chasing him all around the world, and everywhere he goes, and Canis had just been there. So, people are dead. Well, wells have been poisoned. All the crops are withered.
0: Milk has been spoiled. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> That's the
1: Chandrayaan, not the Candace.
0: <laughs> and for my power. <laughs> my milk.
1: <laughs> you actually mentioned that the other day because we went to the store and we don't usually drink any milk, but we bought milk and we got home and we needed it for one thing. And it was spoiled. <laughs> and you brought up how annoying it would be if the Shandu just came around and spoiled all your milk. <laughs> like, it's such a petty thing to do, but it is really frustrating. So, we were laughing about that <laughs> the other day. Anyway, Tello is chasing Canis around the world, and finally he catches up to him in... It's a, a great city, but they don't ever say which city it is. Oh, I'm sorry. And Canis destroys six cities, and then in the seventh city, Taylor saves the city and catches Encanis. So six six great cities are destroyed. And in the next story in this set of chapters, the story of Wanre, there are seven cities that are destroyed, so there's lots of repeats in stories, and I'm not sure if the events are the same, and have been, like if seven cities were destroyed and somehow they, that event became involved in multiple myths over time in this world, or if Seven cities were destroyed multiple times.
0: Or maybe it's just one story, shady details. That's what I mean. Maybe Haliax is (laughs) Ekanis. I don't know. It's very
1: confusing. I think there's supposed to be parallels between the two stories. Yeah. But I don't think it's supposed to be the same story. Although, according to Scarpy, it's all one story. Good callback. I know. So anyway, Tello catches up to Ekanis... And strikes him down with his iron forge hammer. And because Encanus is a demon and the hammer is iron, iron and Taylor is very mighty and powerful. God. Encanus <laughs> is not dead, but catatonic. So Taylor carries Encanus to a smithy, and they take several days and build this gigantic iron wheel. Which I think is now the symbol of the Talon priests.
0: Yeah, it's their equivalent of the cross.
1: Telo gathers up Incanus and tethers him to this gigantic wheel, which has six spokes, which I think is supposed to represent the six cities he destroyed. Puts it against a tree, and I think Telo actually then takes a nap, which is kind of odd.
0: Well, it's like at the end of his labor, maybe rests.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy, I think. <laughs> My greatest foe, your greatest enemy. You have like one last thing to do. You're like, I'll just take a quick little nap. Don't worry, all the people in this town, they won't be able to do anything if he escapes. The most
0: powerful (laughs) demon. I take a nap. I know nap (laughs) time. I take a nap
1: here. (sighs) I know. So he actually gives Incanus a chance to repent, basically, and Incanus tries to lie and say, like, fine, I, I agree with you, let me go, and it doesn't work.
0: Well, it's like the wheel, like, tolls, like, a bell, like, there's, like, a re- oh, yeah. reaction to him lying. That's right, that's right.
1: So Canis then, instead of, like, when he's finally caught, says, like, I don't regret it, if I had to do this again, I would only change how fast I ran and would run away further than you, so you wouldn't be able to catch me
0: and he's make people suffer more it's like a it's a really cool line that he says
1: yeah bite and break you if you give me half an hour i would do such things that these wretched gopping peasants would go mad with fear i would drink their children's blood and bathe in women's tears
0: that's it. that's horribly cryptic it's so creepy
1: and then it's even scary cuz he it says he would have said more but like he's like literally like about to burst against the chains that are holding him in so he like runs out of breath before taylor took his big old nap he had asked people to dig a pit, and there were a dozen trees burning in the bottom of this pit. And so there's just like this like bed of hot, hot coals in this huge pit, and he pushes the wheel with Incanus into it. And Incanis is burning. But crazy Incanus like breaks through two of the chains and is almost about to escape. I don't know if the fire if it was so painful that like, he just had like a The equivalent of like an adrenaline rush and like ripped the fire, or if the fire is so hot that the chains melted.
0: Could be a combination of the two. Could be. Either way, it's very intense. Yeah, the canvas is literally roasting, so like Hulk strength comes out.
1: It's crazy. So Taylor jumps in, the two go down together, and it's just like this crazy moment of sacrifice. Because Taylor's, like, not even scared. He's like, I am my own father and my own son. So, like, I existed before and I existed after. This isn't going to affect me in any way. But he does vanquish in Canis. And, like, they go down in this, like, fire pit. And it's so cool and intense. It's very interesting because there's actually... They mention where it happens. It was in A'Tor. So this is an actual place in the world. Like I mentioned, there's a map in the front of the book. And the A'Toran Empire is a place... So it's neat that, like, there's an actual physical place associated with this still. And because of this whole story of the fire and them burning to ash, the Talon color is gray. As he mentioned this, Trappist kind of ends his story, and Kaboth realizes that maybe Trappist was a Talon priest before. His robe is so dirty that it could have been gray, but it's 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 hard to tell. It was interesting because he at the beginning didn't say he said he didn't know any stories, and then he told this story. And Kaboth mentioned sometimes that the story was really strong, and it seemed like he remembered a lot of it. And other times he really was grasping for it and couldn't quite remember. So it's interesting because we don't get any more of a backstory on Trappis, but it seems of... to me that he was probably related to the clergy in some way.
0: Yeah, no, because he definitely has like this whole priestly or, uh, religious kind of morality, you know, he's tending to all these, like, orphans, sick, and, like, lost children.
1: But I always wonder if he was, like, banished by the church, or if he didn't agree with the church and left it, or if he's just someone else. But, either way, that story is really important, I think, especially when we can talk about the story of Wanre a little bit, with all the parallels between the two. And it also does give us information about, like, demons in the world, and how they're vanquished, and kind of the origins of religion in the whole series, Series and the universe of the series. Chapter 24, Shadows Themselves. I actually didn't remember this chapter, but you brought it up before we even started.
0: Yeah, no, this chapter was really interesting, so... Kaboth is healed from like being sick and beat up and kind of catching cold from.
1: He's back on his like little rooftop hideout area, right? Yeah,
0: he's he's back at it, and like, honestly, just rogue skills Dungeons and Dragons style. Our boy is just leveling up. He's gotten (laughs) really good at like pickpocketing and lockpicking and just kind of like wiggling and waggling through like crowds and just being really uh nimble and it's just Ooh, He really also cool. mentioned
1: he's learned to avoid people who are addicted to denner resin. Yeah. Which it is basically just like crack cocaine but it's...
0: Crack cocaine! Okay, crack. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: well it was confusing at first because he said he learned to avoid people with white teeth and at first I thought he meant really really rich people because they would never give money to peasants and he also had that brush with hillside when he went over to like the wealthy side of town but it's actually the sign of these people who have become addicted to this drug and their addiction will make them crazy so it's best to avoid them
0: yeah no it's kind of like
1: it's like any city like there's definitely sketchy parts but it's it's just a neat like world building thing in my opinion to to talk about like yes there's poverty and and inequality, but to also talk about, like, drug use in a fantastic and medieval-style book I don't think has ever really come up in any other fantasy I've ever read. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, he learns how to, you know, avoid these sweet eaters, people who are addicted to denner resin because it bleaches their teeth, and if somebody who's been addicted to denner resin that long and has, like, brilliantly bright white teeth, like, they will literally kill you for pennies, so... He's learned a lot of street smarts on the time that he's been surviving in Tarbian. Mm-hmm. There's this really just disturbingly sad and horrible scene that is described one evening where Kavoth is like in his like hideaway spot underneath uh, the overhang of three roofs where he lives. A young boy of maybe like eight is stalked and surrounded by like five or six like young men. And it's just horrible. They straight up like raped this boy and Kavoth wants to help, but he's been so Does conditioned. The and, die? I don't think so, but either way, it's really sad. Oh, it's horrible. So Kavoth has been so conditioned just to survive that before he even realizes it, he's like outside of his like hiding hole on the roof. This boy's surrounded by these men and he's got a brick in his hands, and then he thinks about what he's doing and he's like if I already even hit one of these guys, the rest of these people will be on the roof within moments. And one, my location of my home is revealed, so that's null and void. He has no backup plan. He wouldn't have enough time to gather his supplies. He kind of takes the coward's way out and does nothing. And Kavoth then kind of like pauses mid-story with Chronicler and tells him that. If there's any reason or explanation to look into who he became for what reasons, it's here. And he says that during his like travels and adventures throughout his entire life, he's broken more bones and sustained more injuries than he can remember. But he remembers that young child cries for help clearer than anything. And it's his one true regret in life. And so I think it's a really interesting little piece of information that they added, where it was like, Kavos,
1: his like driving force, yeah, especially later when he becomes like powerful, I think stems from the fact that he wasn't there to help his family, but he also wasn't there to help this stranger who he clearly identified with. As a boy on the street without a family, he'd been chased and hunted and beat up by other people. So it's just sad that he recognizes the fact that he has these shortcomings when he was a, a child and couldn't control the situation because he was young and not powerful enough. But it seems like he uses it as a motivating force for like why he became powerful later. I think we can only wait and see whether or not he uses those powers to protect the weak or not. I'm hoping he does, but I'm interested to see what book three brings.
0: Chapter 26, Lanre Turned. So, with chapter 26, we get introduced to our boy, Scarpy.
1: Ah, uh, I love
0: and it. And this chapter is just really cool because we get Kavoth. He's, you know, in Waterside heading towards Trappises and...
1: He hears from a girl that there's a man in a bar who will tell stories, but if you come up with a story he doesn't know, you win a silver talent from him. And this, like, fantasy of not only, like, free entertainment, but also an unimaginable amount of money definitely sets Kimbo's head spinning for a little bit, and, like, he doesn't go there at first because he's had a run-in with, um, the boy who jumped him the very first day he was in Tarbian and broke his loot whose name... Pike. Pike, that's it.
0: It's a nice goon time. named Pike <laughs> <laughs> Pike is just every Like badly drawn like Bully that you see in a cartoon Or just like one huge crooked tooth like, Yeah I was about, about to
1: say buck teeth Yeah like you know what
0: I mean He's Just like just A, a, a shirt human.
1: that's a little too short And his like stomach's poking Yeah, out. yeah
0: just like everything just lame I know So backstory with the whole Pike thing There's well, been a straight up turf war with Pike.
1: Crazy revenge on this kid
0: It's not even revenge, this is just, like, animalistic, like, barbarism at this point. It's like,
1: yeah, it's like not even territorialism, it's just out of control. And this, I don't think this kid Pike even realizes who Kavolt is, or why he has a vengeance out for him.
0: I don't think he remembered that on his first day in Tarbeam that he jumped him and broke his loot, so after that. That's what I mean,
1: I don't think he realizes that, like, he broke this kid's loot and now this kid is out for blood. Yeah. Once Kavoth does the first thing to him, then there's clearly like a recognition and like they they see each other as enemies. But it's like Kavoth kind of sought him out and just like wrecked this kid's little hideaway. Yeah,
0: so Kavoth finds where uh, Pike lives and it's like literally like a cave of crates. And I always imagine, like, weirdly, like, lobster traps and, like, all these, like...
1: <laughs> he does live by the waterfront.
0: Yes, yeah, so I just imagine, like, this weird dwelling, and so... Cobalt sees Pike and, like, one of his, like, fellow goons just kind of, like, strolling around the city, and so while the coast is clear, he finds, like, his dwelling, and... He goes through Pike's stuff. He like eats his food and like drinks his beer or like whatever alcohol. Does again. he take his money too? Takes his money and then he literally starts digging and he finds Pike's like actual like treasured possessions. Like there's like a lock of hair and like a photograph of either like a family member or somebody he cares about.
1: I assumed it was his mom. Yeah, because I'm. I mean, he's clearly an orphan at this point, so I thought that that was like the stuff from his, his like past. His past. Uh, from his mom. Um, I know that in the past in America, sometimes if people passed away, he would put like a little keepsake box in the ground for them. And it would usually it'd be a picture and sometimes a lock of hair. So I think that's where that comes from.
0: Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Cavolt, just because of his hatred for Pike... Straight up lights a fire and like burns down his like dwelling.
1: Uh but rookie mistake—he waits too long. Yeah, because he's, he's like
0: relishing like, well- the moment. I
1: know, like standing there all like manic and crazed of like, "Yes, I've done it," and like just watching it go up in smoke. But then Pike and his friend come back,
0: and they jump Kavoth, and so <laughs> Kavoth definitely gets like a couple licks in, but he really gets beat up pretty bad. And so that's just, like, round one.
1: I think he still feels like he came out on top, though. Oh, yeah, destroyed his home. (laughs) I win.
0: He broke a couple of ribs and, like, lived to tell the tale. And so round two with this vendetta, um, he ends up, like, procuring basically the equivalent of... It's
1: like grain alcohol. It's, like,
0: Everclear mixed with acid. It's, like... If you were to drink it, you'll immediately get like sores in your mouth. It's like that potent and like acidic. Is this
1: supposed to be an alcohol you drink? Like what is I think this it for? might be like
0: a grain alcohol like cleanser almost. Like <laughs> maybe like industrial cleaner. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Jeez. And so somehow Kavolt had been like stalking Pike and at one point he pours his bottle. He above leads them him. to Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. He like
1: Specifically, leads them away to this alleyway where he set up a bucket of this alcohol on the roof, and it's very like Scooby Doo trap of like, be the bait, Shaggy and Scooby, and then we'll push the bucket over.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: but that's exactly what he does. So he gets into to the specific alley and dumps his bucket on Pike, and then like throws a match. And it is so like, savage. He was like, I wanted this kid to ignite in a, a pillar of flame, and he didn't. He did catch on fire though, which is really intense.
0: Especially because Kavos, what, like, 14 at this point? I think
1: 14 or 15 at this point, yeah.
0: And just, like, yes, he's had to do a lot to survive, but this is, like, his first act of, like, or second act of, like, malice.
1: Oh, that's true. You know? Yeah, and I think later in his life he tries to actively not be the aggressor. Yeah. In things, he tries to take a little bit more... He's definitely, like, will push back if if he's pushed, but I don't think he's usually the one to start... A physical or like harmful fight.
0: Yeah, so this is some pretty dark stuff. He should have like roast this kid.
1: Is this where one of the kids also has a knife made of glass, or was that the first fight?
0: That was during the first fight. So was... that was the backstory on the whole Kavoth and Pike rivalry. And Basically, Pike's still alive. He's just probably just wrecked and gross now. Scarred. <laughs>
1: Anyway, that's the reason Kvothe doesn't want to go to this bar is because it's near the waterfront where Pike lives and he doesn't want to be a target. But Curiosity gets the best of him eventually.
0: And so he makes his way over to this bar and it's called the Half Mast. kind of has like this ritual with, at this bar where all these children gather at the bar in order to hear stories and they, if they can afford it, they all contribute... like copper pennies and whatever chains that they have in order to get Scarpy a drink at the bar. There's kind of like a ritual behind it where he'll get his wine or beer, whatever he's drinking, and he'll ask what story people want to hear, and everyone kind of chimes in what they want to hear, what they want to listen to. Cavot who's actually been close to mute for all these years in Tarbian contributes and says he wants to hear about Lonray.
1: Yeah, he surprises himself. And just kind of shouts
0: out Lanre. And so Scarpy hearing that is kind of intrigued as well because it's such an old story that he then decides to tell the story of Lonray.
1: Good thing he picked that one.
0: Oh, I know. Imagine if he showed up. He's like, <laughs> and today we're going to learn about Eulish Nods. Today
1: is like, Jack and beanstalk. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, just something <laughs> And like, I know it's
1: obviously, like, no one would ever write a story where that happens, where you get a totally pointless encounter. But it's just funny that, like, Kvothe goes and the first thing he wants to hear is the one that gets picked.
0: Yes. And so, we finally kind of get the lore of Lanre in the Creation War.
1: Ugh, this is a fantastic story.
0: And I really like how he starts it off. He's like, Years ago and miles away, there was Mir Toroniel, the shining city.
1: It reminds me of Gondor. Yeah, just like being like the beacon in in all this war of like the final beautiful
0: city. You know, it's kind of funny too because they talk about Celotos and very much parallels to Denethor. He's a king of Mir Mir
1: has a magical sight, and so does Denethor in the Lord of the Rings, who has like a magical foresight which is not how it's portrayed in the movies at all.
0: Definitely that'll be eventual episodes, Lord of the Rings.
1: But anyway, so Celotus uses his magical sight to help protect his city because there's been this war going on, the Creation War. At this time, we do not know the origin of the Creation War. We just know that it's a war that's been waged for centuries. And Celotus uses his magical sight to be able to see when armies are coming or when... Is it armies or demons, or armies of demons? It's basically
0: anytime time conflict comes, he can use his power of sight to help avoid disaster. He's also a very powerful namer, which is useful because it grants him the power to basically shape the world around him.
1: But there are other cities that are still resisting. Antos, Vayaret, Tunusa, Emlin, so. Morilla, and Morella.
0: <laughs> the twin cities.
1: And Myrterinio. Obviously... The other cities are not using Sellotos' magical sight to protect themselves, but they are still resisting. So these are like the last...
0: Strongholds. Last
1: strongholds. And then enter Lanre, the hero.
0: Just the classic warrior man. Yep.
1: So he's described as terrible and wise. Oh, I'm sorry. That's his wife, Lyra. Enter Lanre and Lyra. <laughs> the dynamic duo. So is powerful with a sword He's can't be tired out on the battlefield. There's at one point they mentioned he fights for three days straight, it's always where the fighting is thickest, so he's just like the perfect hero. And his wife Lyra is powerful, she's a powerful namer. So the two of them together create this like
0: it's unstoppable possible, force. Basically. Like, Dungeons and dragons duo. You get the barbarian, you have the wizard. <laughs> 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 you know, he's like a berserker. He just like goes ham.
1: He's like a gentleman knight. Well, like,
0: yeah, right, yeah.
1: Because he's all about, like, truth and valor.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair.
1: Which is why his corruption hurts even more. Yes. <laughs> so Wanre and Lyra are there, and they're, like, pushing back against their enemies. This is, like, the first time in hundreds of years that people couldn't even talk about the possibility of peace or an end to the creation war. There's this battle, the Block of Drossentor, which is that battle I mentioned that lasted for three days straight. and it's. It's kind of a draw. No side can defeat the other. And it ends in this epic battle of Lanre fighting this great beast with scales of black iron whose breath was a darkness that smothered men.
0: As a little side note, it almost sounds like he's describing a Dracus. Oh, it does. Just a thought. I never considered that until I'm reading it now.
1: That's so cool. So Dracus has only come up so far in The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus, which was the book that Chronicler wrote and both mentioned reading, which is where Chronicler said he went searching for a dragon but found a lizard.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I guess this podcast has spoilers, but the Dracus comes in at the end of this book as well. But I think this one is supposed to be...
0: More of a mythological creature.
1: I think it's supposed to be a demon, because... So laundry kills it, but laundry also dies while killing it, and... The end of the battle finishes with the enemy being set beyond the doors of stone. And the doors of stone is the name of the third book in this series. Several times throughout the book, different types of doors come up. But I believe waystones are considered to be the doors of stone that lead to the Fey realm. So I'm assuming that these are demons and they've been pushed back into the Fey realm and locked behind the doors of stone. Uh, unfortunately Lonray died in this conflict and Lyra comes and uses naming to pull him back from death. She tries a few different times and fails but eventually like Lonray wakes up and we're not really sure how she does it except for the fact that she is a powerful namer. That's all we know.
0: Yeah no there's no explanation on it. It's just and I think part of it for this story, at least, with uh Scarpy, is it's almost, through her powers as namer and through the power of love, she brings him back from death. Like, that kind of deal.
1: Yeah. But it's it's crazy because the next part of the story is Lyra dies, and Lanre tries to bring her back, but because he's not a powerful Namer, he can't do it. Right. But either way, so Lanre and Lyra are back for a little bit. They are victorious. The war continues. But, like, everyone's starting to gain hope. Especially because wandering like came back from the dead and, and he's their, their golden boy. The
0: champion. So, like,
1: he can do no wrong. Except for, boy, does he do the worst wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he can do no wrong until this. <laughs> until
1: he does the, the wrongest wrong. Years go by, the enemies are kind of dissipating, and people are coming to hope for the end of the war. But then there's all these rumors like Lyra's sick, Lyra's kidnapped, Lyra might be dead. Lanre has disappeared. Lanre's mad. So there's like this kind of bizarre confusion going on about something bad has happened to them, but we're not sure what it is. So then Lanre shows up in Mere by himself. And he's, uh, it's really cool because he has a silver sword and a habergen, which is a chainmail shirt. And it's, it's made of black iron scales, which is what the enemy he vanquished was that killed him.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. He actually wrought it out of the carcass of the beast he killed at Drossentor. So yes. he's wearing, like...
0: The skin of his enemies. What would be the
1: equivalent of, like, dragon scales for armoring. And that's so cool. Very cool. But he asks Solitos to come with him outside the city, because they need to talk, and solitos and he have been friends. And because all these rumors have been going around, solitos is smart and doesn't immediately be like, Where's Lyra? But plays it cool.
0: Yeah, so they walk towards the mountain pass, and... Celatos kinda of calls the spade a spade, is like He gets around. I heard your wife is unwell. And Lonray doesn't really say anything until he actually then binds Celatos And Celatos is completely taken back by this because he is like a master namer. Like very few equal his power naming. I think they save do. for Lyra, EAX, or otherwise known as Jax, which we learn about later on. And a character named Arua.
1: We've never encountered Arua
0: yet, right? In either
1: of the two books in this series?
0: No, not yet. So Aladaray does him dirty. He straight up binds him in the name of stone. And he then commands the heir to lay leaden upon his tongue. So he can't use any naming to get himself out of his situation. And then he also declares that all his powers fail him, but his power of sight. Salatose is truly just like in statue mode. He can't <laughs> move.
1: He can't <laughs> it reminds talk. me of um, Harry Potter when Dumbledore like freezes Harry so that Snape can kill him, and you yeah. know it's like watching this like horrible, horrible thing happen. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just
0: completely immobile at this point. Since Celatos or Salitos is stuck, a whole army then marches towards Mir Terrineal and. People don't see it till it's way too late, so it is just sieged for a day and a night. The white walls are charred black. People are being slaughtered. The the whole city that was once beautiful and a symbol of hope and peace has just been destroyed and blackened and ruined. Eventually, after everyone has been kind of murdered and the city's been destroyed, Lanre unbinds him.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: (laughs) Salitos is like just, <laughs> just so just clever. Clever. why dude yeah, why? Just why why, and he was he asked Salithos he's like was I a good man and he says you were counted among the best of us you were beyond reproach and he says yeah I did this uh
1: Heartbreaking.
0: Lanre then admits that his wife is dead and deceit and treachery brought him to it but her death is on his hands and what my theory is, is somehow, when Lyra brought him back from, like, like death's door, he came back, but I'm sure there had to have been some, like, equivalent exchange or compensation that somehow his soul was corrupted by being brought back.
1: Do you think somehow Lyra traded her soul for his?
0: There had to have been something, because he clearly got his skill in naming from her, whether it was he took it by force or, like...
1: Oh, you think he got his skill in naming from Lyra?
0: Yeah, she's. Dead I thought and he all of a got sudden... it
1: from Ankanis and basically made a deal with the devil.
0: Ooh, that's a good thought. Too. That was my
1: theory, and that he traded his immortality or like his his free will for the power to bring Lyra back, and then in doing so, essentially became like a slave of whoever this higher, darker power is.
0: That's a great point, my
1: because. As we learn, he becomes Haliax, leader of the Chandrian. But the Chandrian themselves aren't out of control; bad. They're. It seems like Nobody they're a knows tool of someone else. Maybe like if they were just a bad force, they would be more like Incanus or the demons, and just go around causing problems everywhere they go.
0: No, what well, my personal theory was when laundry came back. His soul is corrupted because, you know, the dead should rest, and so... Yeah,
1: you can never come back from the dead without there being some kind of... Like, in especially in books. Yeah. Without there being some kind of, like, deal or compensation or... Sometimes when people come back from the dead, they're, like, not right.
0: He's come back, and I think he, he's been corrupted, and he then sacrifices Lyra for his own ambitions... And somehow acquires her skill in naming, but tries to bring her back as she did for him, and he can't.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Because
0: (laughs) he pauses, he says, my wife is dead. Deceit and treachery brought me to it, but her death is on my hands.
1: That's true. I mean, he clearly is responsible for her death, but I never really thought about him actively killing her. I thought somehow she... ...made a deal, and he felt this enormous guilt that she sacrificed herself for him, basically.
0: I mean, there's definitely multiple ways to interpret, like, what actually went down.
1: Yeah, and I don't think we're going to know, but
0: those are both good theories. And so, Salutos is like, well, it's never too late. Things can be okay, and is just fully like, things will never be okay. I can't die. The person I loved is gone forever, and I'm just content with to make the world cease to exist because if I can't end, then the world should end around me, basically. He's kind of making this declaration of, like, mm-hmm. to destroy the world.
1: Yeah, like, if I can't be happy, nobody can.
0: So Letos is, like, at this point, like, all right, like, enough's enough. This can't go on any further. I've been a fool not to see what's been going on, and so in a very, not even poetic, like, dramatic you know, turn of events, he picks up, like, a ja- jagged shard of mountain glass and stabs himself in the eye and literally blinds himself as, in one eye, as a reminder to never be, like, so foolish and blind to what's happening around him.
1: It's sad, though, because at that time, too, Lanre, like, a glimmer of his old self comes out, and he's like, can you kill me, please? That's the only way I'll ever be able to escape this fate. He He knows it's hopeless, like, that Salitos also realizes he won't actually be able to kill him and keep him dead because of whatever kind of dark magic has corrupted Lanre. But I think Lanre's still in there, like, deep, deep down, and is remorseful, but also just, like, so disturbed.
0: After Solitos has, like, blinded himself, and I can't tell, like, yes, it was very much, a, like, a metaphorical and... Like, a a real example of, like, him being blind, but I also can't tell if it was, like, a blood magic thing with naming that he did this, because after stabbing himself in the eye, he then enchants or curses Lanre with a darkness over his face and kind of twists him into this, like, shadowed-faced evil Mm -hmm. that he can't get rid of, and that's how he becomes what we know as Haliax. There is this really cool line, though, where it says, This is my doom upon you. May your face be always held in shadow, black as the toppled towers of my beloved Mere Tornil. This is my doom upon you. Your name will be turned against you, that you shall have no peace. This is my doom upon you. All who follow you, may it last until the world ends, and allow you fall nameless from the sky.
1: The Aleo are like angels, correct? Yeah. So I think that is the creation of the Shandrian right there. All who follow you will last until the end of the world. So unintentionally, Selectos creates... Like a prophecy. A prophecy and the legacy that becomes fulfilled creating the Shandrian. He's also really upset because Vano didn't kill or destroy just the one city. He destroyed all but one of those last standing cities. And there's a lot of theories about which city was the one that... Wasn't destroyed and where it is now in Kaboos' world, which we can probably discuss later on in the books.
0: I do have a theory though about this kind of prophecy that Salidos declared. Mm -hmm. And it says, May it last until the world ends and Leia falls nameless from the sky.
1: And or? or.
0: And Leia falls nameless from the sky. Could it be. Kind of where we find a present-day Kvothe, where the world's kind of coming to an end because the fey realm is mixing with the human world.
1: Possibly. I think when he means when the world ends, he probably means when the human world ends.
0: Yeah, like of all time.
1: But this was also called the Creation War. So I'm wondering if there will be, like, what's the opposite of creation? Destruction. A destruction, essentially. The Creation War isn't the creation of the world. It's... As we come to find out later, it's the creation of the fey realm separate from the human realm. Yeah. So the destruction of those separate realms would be the opposite of what just happened and might be the end of the world in terms of that prophecy, which would mean the end of the Shandrian because I think we're hoping that Caboet's destiny is to destroy the Shandrian. Yeah. And that would fulfill that whole prophecy there.
0: This kind of wraps up Scarpy's Telling of the creation war of Lonray to all these children at the half mask bar, you know the kids all have questions and they thank Scarpy for telling the story. And the the herd starts thinning out a little bit, and uh-huh. it's only until Kavoth is the last one in, and he thanks Scarpy for the story, and he this then is like opens the first up.
1: time he's talked about his family at all. It's a really fascinating conversation. Garpy talks about just like the general rules and says like give a coin if you have one to spare and clearly recognizes that Kaboth is poor and needs the money. But he also talks about having knowledge of stories but that all stories are one story. All the pieces are growing around us and it's in all of these little nooks and crannies in the whole world and the story isn't broken. It's all interconnected, which I think is just a fascinating way to look at history. But then Kavoth actually says there's no good story that doesn't touch the truth and this is something that his father used to say and I think it, he feels very strange talking to someone and especially feels very strange bringing up something about his family and his father. I think he gets a little like skittish and overwhelmed because he has these emotions clearly start coming out about remembering his family and... Is kind of starting to to leave, but clearly wants to know more, so he kind of inarticulately asks, Is it true the story? And Scarpy says, All stories are true, but this one really happened. Which is very important, I think, in terms of Lonray and his transformation into Haliax and both coming to the realization that he has encountered Haliax in the Chandrian. But that brings us to the end of this chapter.
0: Chapter twenty-seven His eyes unveiled. We get Kavoth leaving the bar, and he's just happy and smiling and buoyant, knowing that he's going to get a chance to hear a story soon, because living on the streets, it's usually just like pickpocket, scavenge, beg, survive. So to have entertainment is really just uplifting for him.
1: Just to have something to look forward to. Too, I think everything has been such like instinctual need of like I need food now or I need sleep now or I need to be warm now. Like actually, this is like the first time he's actually kind of interacted with other people and and not lived just for the purpose of living for himself.
0: Right, and so as he's walking down the street, he kind of has this whole like tingling feeling in the back of his mind as if he's forgetting something and he can't quite figure out what it is. Like Kvalt is narrating the fact that he's been a Tarbean for three years, and a large portions of his mind are still inactive and subconscious, and so he doesn't realize what it is that he's trying to remember until he is going towards a bar or a nearby inn where he gets um, a mug of really strong beer. And he's kind of just doing his day drinking thing, just kind of sipping pleasantly, hanging out.
1: Good for him. I feel like he never has anything nice happen.
0: Exactly. So he's enjoying his buzz. He's enjoying his beer as the afternoon's waning towards the evening. And as he's about to place the mug back at the inn, he sees um, a telling priest walk by and he's like, all right, I'm all set. The last thing I want to do is be drunk on morning and deal with A tellin priest, so he kind of like sidesteps towards an alley. And this priest is carrying a torch because it's you know towards the evening time. And when he turns, the priest doesn't see Kavoth, but his face is covered with a hood and is draped in shadow. And and it just jolts him. Yes, he has his like epiphany moment where he's Uh, like Wait a minute. Lonray was Haliax Haliax is part of the Chandra, and the Chandra killed my family because they were telling the story of Lanre, and it's, like, all these, like, puzzle pieces, like, clicking together, and he's, like, oh my god. He's just absolutely dumbstruck, because Scarpy even admitted, like, part of his story contained the truth, and now there's...
1: He has physical proof of it, because he's literally interacted with the person from the story. Yes, and he realizes he needs more information, so he's all, like, excited about, like, going back to to get more information from Scarpy. But he's also just so overwhelmed, he doesn't know what to do. He's like, do I do I kill the Shandrian? Do I find Monray? What do I, uh like, how do I do any of this? I'm just a child living on the streets. Like, what's my next move?
0: Yeah, because letting Targum has taught him such a hard practicality that he kind of laughs. He's like... I can't kill the Chandra and I can hardly survive on my own, let alone go after these godlike creatures and people that have the ability to like wipe out thousands of people.
1: Hmm. I think it's actually really interesting from a book perspective, too, because there's so many main characters whose like destiny becomes laid out before them. And they'll just up and leave and be like, yes, I have to go fight or I have to go learn or train or... Whatever, travel, self actually yeah, absolutely, and they just kind of up and leave from their life, and there's never the practicality of money or family that stands in their way, and he he has this grandiose notion of getting revenge on the Shandrian. I mean, that's his his end goal, but getting there, he's like, I don't know how to start doing that. Like, I don't even have enough food for tomorrow. He doesn't even have shoes. <laughs> I don't have shoes. I don't have a family. I don't have any weapons or knowledge. <laughs> I don't have, like, good clothes. I think at this point he mentions he's been wearing a burlap sack for a shirt for a while. So it's just this, like, frustrating feeling of, like, knowing what he wants and having this, like, grand calling to do do it.
0: But not knowing that next step. But
1: not knowing what to do. Like, he can see the end point, but he can't see, like, the ladder that's going to get him there.
0: No. Um, that's where we're going to leave off with this episode. We reach a really good kind of break in the story where Kvothe is going to go back and listen to another scarpy stories and hopefully get some information directed from Scarpy. More about Lonrai and maybe even the Shandrin.
1: Yep. Next episode we'll cover chap- the chapters up through th- chapter 32. Um, which is the rest of Kvothe's time in Tarbian, and he will finally make his Great escape from this horrible city. <laughs> and until then, definitely check us out on our website, as I mentioned earlier. And happy reading! This podcast was recorded by Anna Opischinski and Sam Furman. Edited by Anna Opischinski. Produced by Anna Opischinski and Sam Furman. With
0: webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opischinski.